Welcome to the Sacred Collective, everyone. Um, thank you for tuning in for another interview. Today we have uh, another guest. Um, we have the author, is what I know him as, the author, Keith Giles. So, Keith, uh, thank you for coming on the podcast. Uh, Brian, thank you so much. It's uh, my honor to be uh, with you on the podcast and excited to have these conversations. Thank you. Thank you. So, let's just dig in. For those of, I don't know you that well, I know kind of how I found out about you is um, you, you answered a request on, on my Instagram post of who wants to be on the podcast. I think we do have a mutual friend, Maria French. Um, oh, gosh, yes. Yeah, yes, so she, which we can dig into a little bit about um, a book that you edited, and she was a writer in there. Me and me and Maria go way back. We were in college together, seminary. Um, she's been on my podcast. I've been on her podcast, so... We go, we go back a long way. So that's kind of cool. We have that connection with, with her. So I guess just starting off, um, this is who are you, Keith? Who are you? What do you want people to know? And with this, I tell people for whatever you want people out there in, you know, this little slice of the internet of podcasting of our podcast, what would you like people to know? Who are you? Yeah. Well, thanks. Um, who am I? Well, I am a, I'm a former, um, formerly licensed and ordained pastor um, who grew up in, uh, raised in a Christian home, in a conservative Christian home um, in Texas, and um, yeah, was raised Southern Baptist. Like I said, got, got licensed and ordained in that denomination. Um, but over time, <clears throat> just began to question and and uh, rethink a lot of the things I was raised with and grew up with. Went through a deconstruction process that probably started close to 20 years ago, and it's um, kind of still ongoing. So um, I no longer consider myself a Baptist. I no longer consider myself a pastor. Um, I would still say I, I guess I'm somebody who uh, loves Jesus, and I, I find Jesus very fascinating and uh, somebody uh, who inspires me and somebody I believe is worth following for different reasons. And, um, but I probably deconstructed almost everything else about my faith, uh, but it, for the better, I think it's a bit of great process. It's, it's painful, but it's, uh, it's worth it. Fascinating. Thank you. Um, I think, yeah, we kind of are in that same, same, uh, orbit, I would say. Um, I grew up for people who know, so this is kind of, uh, I feel bad for some of our listeners who listen all the time to hear my sob story, but just for you as a guest, not knowing a little bit about me, but I grew up in the evangelical world. I grew up in the Assemblies of God, so very Pentecostal. Um, went to Bible college, um, North Central University. Was a pastoral studies major, wanted to go into the ministry, and, you know, did all that. And then kind of felt like after college that I wanted to go into seminary because I love learning and writing and reading and just kind of opening my mind. Then I went to a Baptist seminary up here in the Twin Cities, even though I didn't think I was a Baptist. And I would probably say towards the tail end of college, um, into seminary, a lot of life events happened. Uh, my father passed away unexpectedly. Just a lot of turmoil just in, in my own life, um, just of questioning and stuff. And then probably by the middle of seminary, I started like kicking the idea and concept of hell out. I became a universalist. I um, was very open in, for the GLBTQ community when a lot of people I knew at the time weren't, especially my classmates. And then I went into the ordination process in the United Church of Christ, so mainline progressive liberal. And then just recently, of last year, I left um, that ordination track for a whole host of reasons. Not Not my doing, I would say, but... So yeah, we kind of have that. And I always tell people I, I felt like I started deconstructing before deconstructing was cool. Like, <laughs> even though people have been deconstructing, um, you know, for centuries, but I was kind of like within like the orbit right now. I feel that deconstruction within the last at least five to 10 years have, you know, ex-evangelicals who have deconstructed or, yeah. you know, walked away from one part of faith maybe have went to like mainline maybe went to house churches or maybe have just even become agnostic or atheistic which which is fine if that's where they you know they want to go to in 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 their walk um 
And and yeah, like with me, I've just kind of how to phrase this. It, it, it's just I'm I I love Jesus. I tell people uh, I love Jesus. I love the teachings of Jesus. I just feel like in our culture right now, uh, Jesus gets lumped into the church and like how the church functions and how pastors function. You know, whether prosperity gospel or name it, claim it, and just all this junky theology that's out there, Jesus gets lumped into that. And I'm like, this Jesus person is so cool and revolutionary um, and transcendent. It just, I feel like Jesus gets a bad rap. Would you agree? Kind of Jesus gets a bad rap and (laughs) gets mixed in with the church. Right. Well, so for the last four years, I have published, over the last four years, I published six books in uh, in a series. And the series is the Jesus Un- series, which essentially each book is sort of trying to expose exactly what you're talking about, how Jesus has been uh, co-opted by religion and politics and so many other things. And uh, so, yeah, I absolutely agree. I wrote um, Jesus Untangled was my first book, which was about crucifying our politics to pledge allegiance to the Lamb, trying to sort of point out the dangers of faith and politics. And that, that book was published um, on inauguration day on Trump's inauguration day. So, um, the timing was great. Uh, but obviously the kind of things I was talking about in that book just seemed to get a lot worse and come in, you know, more into the light over the, over that last four years. And, um, but yeah, I've written books about, you know, trying to liberate Jesus as the word of God. Not, it's not a book we wrote about Jesus, Jesus, Jesus himself is the word of God. And what does that mean? Um, you know, I've written a books about eternal conscious torment and how that's, I call that a false doctrine. Uh, the, the doctrine of eternal conscious torment is not taught anywhere in the old Testament. Uh, it really isn't taught in the new Testament either. Actually, if you go and look at those verses that supposedly are about that, they really aren't about that at all. Um, and, and all, all those things. So yeah, I've, I've really tried to use my writing, um, to focus my writing on helping to sort of uh, rediscover Jesus, uh, the original, as much as we can discover an original Jesus, um, who is still radical beyond our imagination, who still challenges us in ways, you know, it sort of challenges the status quo, doesn't sort of affirm the status quo, um, and those kinds of things. So yeah, I, I'm really excited about Jesus. And I'm also very excited about, uh, sort of pulling back all the crap and all the garbage that we've tried to lay on top of Jesus or put between people who just want Jesus, but instead we give them a lot of doctrine and a lot of um, culture and a lot of other junk that has really nothing to do with Jesus. Oh, you fit right along in this podcast, <laughs> I feel. <laughs> there you go. Um, yeah, what, so how did you, what gave you the desire, obviously just talking to you for like the, lot, the only about 10 minutes, I can just see this sense of, you wanting people to be educated, kind of taking away all the BS of mm-hmm. churchianity, maybe, or doctrines, like you say, false doctrines, which I would agree with your assessment on eternal conscious torment. Like, did you kind of in your head with, you said you wrote these series of six books, like, did you, was that something you had planned for a while, or was that kind of like you were writing that because you had deconstructed, you know, for the last 20 years, and you're just like, I got to get this out of my head, and I want other people to you know, see if they can gravitate towards this. Is that kind of how it went? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I wish I could, I wish I could say that I had planned this all out in advance, but I did not. Um, I never set out to write a series. I really just wrote that first book. Um, and really I, I wrote that book, Jesus Untangled, really kind of just processing my own um, departure from uh, that idea that, you know, you can't be a Christian if you vote Democrat and, you know, uh, like I believed all that stuff, you know, I, mean, I was raised in Texas. I was a member of the NRA. I listened to Rush Limbaugh, I voted straight ticket Republic, Republican my whole life. And, um, and then, you know, slowly I kind of came out of that and I really feel like I, I, I had my eyes open to the fact that the kingdom of God is not the American empire. Um, I really realized that I was more American than I was Christian. And I, I just had to do deal with my own junk enough to kind of figure out the difference between those two things. And, uh, and in doing so, once I realized, wow, man, I, I, I really had this backwards. I had this really screwed up picture of who Jesus was and who, you know, what the gospel was all about. And, um, and that's why I wrote that first book. 
really is because I realize, you know, I'm not the only one with that problem. I, I know a lot of people who still have uh, a problem in that area. And so I, that's why I wrote the first book. But then, yeah, all the other books that came after that were really just kind of flowing out of my own processing, right? So, you know, the next book dealt with the Bible, and that was really just came out of me um, trying to figure out for myself, what do I believe about the Bible? You know, what do we mean if we say the, the Bible is inspired? Um, you know, the, the, the bottom line with that is that God, God didn't write the Bible. Uh, we did. People did. Uh, God didn't write anything. And so if you keep that in mind, then, you know, you recognize that, yeah, we, some people got it wrong. Some of those guys didn't really, really clearly understand who God was, to be honest. Uh, I think Jesus had the best picture of who God was. And so I, I gravitate towards that. But anyway, yeah. So each book in the series really just kind of like slowly came one at a time. You know, uh, I just, then I, then I talked about the Doctrine of Eternal Torment. I, I looked at the church. I looked at uh, the end times hype, you know, um, and really a lot of it was just studying church history, studying scripture, you know, going back and looking at things firsthand or going beyond just the English translations of, of the Bible to the Greek and the Hebrew and other commentators that were, uh, I'd never looked at before, helping me really see and understand things that I kind of feel, uh, whether intentional or accidental, I, I, I kind of feel in some ways intentionally, um, you know, they're just things that I was never told. And whether that was, again, whether it was on purpose to sort of dupe us and trick us and make us easily to, you know, easier to manipulate us and control us, probably to some degree, that's true. Um, but in other ways, I think just ignorance, people just, you know, you just repeat what your pastor told you and he's repeating what his pastor told him. And no one's really going back to check and see, well, is that true? And does that make sense? Or is that the only way to think about this? So that's what I've tried to do is um, in my books is just present people with information that they're probably not going to hear from the pulpit. Um, but that's true. It's not my opinion. I'm just trying to be as objective as possible sure. and say, you know, you should know these things. Uh, you should consider these things. And then you should make up your own mind about whether you believe these things or not. Right. Awesome. Thank you. Um, I guess a couple of questions I have from what you were saying is how – I'm from I'm from the Midwest. I'm from Minnesota, and I don't I don't know if you're in Texas anymore. I don't. Doesn't sound like you yes, are. Yes, yes, or you are. Yes, you I are. Am. Yes, I. Am. Okay. So how how does how does someone like yourself growing up in the Deep South, Bible Belt, you know, very different politically than up here, like in the North, where you know, Minnesota's kind of like that state in the Midwest that's super progressive, super liberal in in the cities. How how did your deconstruction kind of make you feel being like, okay, here I am a pastor, here I am having all these questions, here I am, you know, deconstructing, you know, the concept of hell or having all these issues with scripture. I, I mean, obviously, how did that just deal with your own spiritual, like spirituality, your own faith, and maybe even like family, friends, and even the church around you? I mean, I think that could be... A, a long answer, I know, but I'm just kind of fascinated and wanting to hear your story of like how how did you I, I guess methodologically and ideologically and philosophically deal with all those um, variations with you know having these almost in a way like a faith crisis, even though it's deconstruction, but dealing it within the the realm in the work that you were doing, right. Yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, there is definitely um, a lot of that in my story. And, I, and I've talked to a lot of people who have deconstructed or are deconstructing all the time. And um, and those are common elements in everybody's story, right? At first, you feel like you're the only person who sees something or thinks something. Um, you're terrified to tell anybody about it, because um, especially if you're a pastor, by the way. Right. Uh, because, you know, your job kind of depends on your playing, playing the game. Um but for me, because it was it was kind of gradual at the beginning, and the kinds of things I was deconstructing uh, kind of naturally led me out of the church. So what I mean is, so my the very first thing I deconstructed was really just something kind of as simple as the gospel. Uh, I kind of had my my mind blown. Uh, I was doing an interview. I was writing for Relevant Magazine at the time, mm. and I was doing an interview with this guy. Um, who is the former, you know, director of church planting for Vineyard, the Vineyard Church Movement. And um, 
And I, I was interviewing him and I said, you know, what's the biggest problem with the, with the church in America today? And this is like 20 years ago. And he said, you know, the biggest problem is Christians don't understand the gospel. And I go, what do you mean? He goes, well, you know, the gospel is not say a prayer so you can go to heaven when you die. And now I was a pastor and I'd been a pastor a long time. And no one had ever told me, <laughs> ever even suggested that the gospel wasn't about saying a prayer so you can go to heaven when you die. And I was like, what are you talking about? And so that was the first big deconstruction for me was like, wow, I don't even, all this time, I've been standing behind a pulpit. I've been leading other people, teaching other people. And I have, I didn't even understand what the gospel was. What a, what a radical, you know, shift that was. So that was the first big thing that really shook me. And that really caused me to go back and rethink what I, everything I thought I knew about being a Christian. Um, and then, um, and then almost immediately after that, the, the next big thing that I started deconstructing or this kind of, kind of drew my wife and I and our family away from, away from traditional church um, was I had read this article by a guy named Ray Mayhew, and it was called something like Embezzlement, the Corporate Sin of American Christianity. It was simply like a 40, 45-page PDF document that was historically just going through early church history and demonstrating how, you know, for probably like the first three, 400 years of church history, the caring for the poor was like one of the it's one of the uh, main ingredients, one of the main parts of the DNA of the early church was caring for the poor, the orphan and the widow. And that's mm -hmm. where the offerings went. We laid at the apostles' feet, not for the apostles, right. but for the orphan and the widow and all that. So my wife and I were really convicted by that and felt like, you know what? We're going to start a church that does that. We're going to start a church that gives everything away to the poor in our community. And uh, I wouldn't take any money for myself. So that's when we sort of, we left traditional church. We started meeting in homes. Uh, in our, this was in Orange County, California. And uh, we did that for about 11 years. Uh, I just got a job, a regular job. And so, you know, we had that initial pushback from that. Everyone thought we were crazy for doing that. Um, but then, of course, once you leave, once I left traditional church and I was no longer a pastor, our house church was not connected to any denomination. We had no quote-unquote covering of any denomination. Um, we were just people who loved Jesus and were trying our best to follow Jesus and and um, because I think we were out from under sort of a, the oversight of a denomination or something like that, I was free to just read any books I wanted to read. And, and if I had a question or a thought, I could go research that. And if I came to a conclusion that, that didn't line up with my denomination, well, okay then. You know, it didn't, it, there was no risk. There was no threat. Um, but, of course, once I started blogging about that or writing books about that or speaking about that, uh, yeah, then I lost friendships. Um, I got called a heretic and a false teacher. Um, you know, there are people that won't talk to me now, unfortunately, because of that. I even have family members who uh, we still talk, but, you know, we don't bring up any of those topics because they're very nervous to talk to me about the uh, how my theology has shifted. So, yeah, there definitely is a price to pay, uh, sadly. And I think anyone who deconstructs knows this. When you start questioning your faith, especially if you were raised in a Christian church, and you, you have these relationships, you suddenly realize that the, the relationships that you have were based on agreement. Um, as long as you agree with these 10 or 12, whatever doctrines or statements of faith, well, you're welcome. But the minute you don't believe one of those 12 or 10 or whatever statements of faith, you know, I'm not sure I believe in eternal torment anymore. You know, I'm not sure I believe the Bible's inert and infallible anymore. Uh, you know, I'm not sure Jesus is coming back any second to uh, to rapture the church and, and uh, rebuild the temple and all that stuff. Um, you know, any of those things. And suddenly, uh, you know, Keith, I, I don't think I can play basketball with you anymore. No, Keith, you know, I don't think uh, we can get together and go to the movies anymore. I don't know why we have to agree on eternal torment for us to shoot hoops or to see movies. But apparently in, in the Christian church in America... We do because we have we have um, we have the assumption that unity is based on agreement, and uh, right. sadly, if you don't agree, then you're out. Right, and and thank you for being kind of vulnerable and putting that out there, because you know a lot of times, and, and part of what I want to do on the podcast on this kind of theme that I'm doing is hearing people's story is like you know I, we all have our stories, and I'm just totally interested. And hearing everyone's voices, whether they're Christian or agnostic or atheistic, or just because we all we're all sacred people, I look at that we're all our own human self, our our own autonomous self, and a lot of us 
are are have a lot of hurt or baggage within our faith. And I I was telling one of my friends recently where in seminary you hear about this thing called folk religion, and you hear about it in other worlds. Like, oh, you were born. I was born into like Hinduism, so I'm culturally Hindu, but I'm you know into the Christian faith. Where I tell people all the time, I feel like what's happening in the American context now within Christianity is our folk religion is Christianity and people are now realizing and kind of waking up like, Oh, like I'm embedded into this faith, whether I believe in it or not. So people are like, I, so I, I've told friends, I'm like, I, that I know are atheistic. And I'm like, your folk religion, the religion you were born into is Christianity and your faith is no faith now, which is fine. And it's just incredible the how many American Christians don't realize that they were born embedded into this folk religion. And I'm like, hey, you could have been born in another part of the world where your folk religion was Islam. Or your folk is, you know, or like if you were born in maybe some parts of Africa, you could have a different tribalism religions. And it's just so fascinating to hear, like to see people's reactions to be like, well, no, I would have always been a Christian. I know I, I'm always <laughs> going to be a Christian. And I'm kind of like, well, you're saying that within that American folk religion ideology of, like, you were born in... Like, I told people all the time, like I told my mom the other day, I was like, I was born into Christianity. I really didn't have a choice. And she was like, what do you mean? I was like, well, you and dad were Christians. My older brother was a Christian. My grandparents were Christian. All my aunts and uncles and cousins were Christians. So I said, did I really have a choice? Right. And she was like, of course you did. I said, no, I didn't. Because... No. You cannot go, I mean, how many movies or books or TV shows do you see where the character walks away from their family, walks away from her faith, walks away from, you know, the job that they're supposed to do, and their life forever changed. Everyone turns their back. That's the same thing like you were saying about how Christians or people who deconstruct, and it's like everyone just walks away. It's like you were saying yeah. like, oh, I don't want to play basketball with you anymore. <laughs> And, like, I've actually had, not family, a lot of my friends, or family just look at me and they're like, oh, Brian, you're just crazy and, and we love you, but we think you're dead wrong. It's just like, yeah, that's their opinion, that's fine. Sure. But I've actually had friends that, because I used to work at a Christian college in, in the facilities department, and I've actually had these friends who were more agnostic, atheistic, who become sold out, like, really evangelical Christians and they will look at me and they're like, Brian, you don't believe in hell anymore? No. Oh, you, you know, you think gay marriage is okay and being gay is okay? Yeah, I do. And yeah. they were like, you don't believe in the inerrancy or infallibility of scripture? I said, no. And they were like, and it's like, click. They don't get a, they, I don't get a text from them anymore. I don't get a <laughs> right. phone call. And I'm just like, okay, like you do you. But for you to say that you can't interact with me or be friends with me anymore because of my differences of, of faith. It's not even saying that I don't believe in Jesus cause I do, but to them it's this, it's this like, you have to understand, you know, say this prayer, this magic prayer that's found nowhere in scripture. <laughs> exactly right. And, and have these doctrines that are not really found in scripture, but people throughout the millennia from, the, from when Christ, you know, ascended, that have come up with. And so when you disagree with that, they're, you're, they're like, Oh my gosh, you're, di you're disagreeing with Jesus and you're, you're deconstructing till you believe in nothing. And you're like, no, I'm just trying to get to the base of this. I'm trying to get to the heart and the true message of Jesus. And then they think that you're drinking the crazy juice. Where in reality, like, I feel like you and I and others are like, no, we're just trying to get to that authentic Jesus that we hear about, yeah. that we hear about in these teachings and these parables about Jesus. So, I find it quite fascinating um, how how people are like that. And, I mean, it happens on both sides. I mean, you can, you know, I've been in uh, progressive mainline denominations where, you know, people still don't understand some of my passions of what I do. And, and some of the stuff I got was this whole, like, the conservative liberal, like, finger pointing and, like, oh, well, like, Brian, you went to conservative seminary and a conservative college. Well, yeah, because I was conservative at the time. And they're like, well, how do we know you're not a wolf in sheep's clothing? How do we know, you know, if we, you know, if we promote you to ordination that you're not going to be this, like, wild card? And I was like, I've proven myself, you know, this last almost <laughs> decade in this denomination of saying, like, hey, this is who I am. 
And it's because the ministry I wanted to do was outside the four walls of the church. Right. And they didn't get it. I was like, and right now I do a pub church um, in Minneapolis. And so I sit at a bar. I have no denominational oversight. I have a group of highly educated people who keep me accountable so I don't spew heresy. But kind of mm-hmm. like what you were saying, like I can get up in the pulpit and say, hey, I really don't believe in this verse in the Bible, and I really have an issue with it. Or mm-hmm. like, hey, guys, I'm going to talk about how I don't believe in hell. Or I have this issue with the resurrection, where some of that stuff would fly in mainline churches, but other times it's like, why aren't you wearing your liturgical robes? Why aren't you doing <laughs> the Eucharist every Sunday? Why aren't you, oh, yeah. you know, doing you know infant baptism? And so I think it's just this flare of people kind of opening themselves up to what what is christianity maybe without church if that makes sense or a new way of, or a new way of doing church yeah i think i think the definition of church um needs to be changed and in many ways uh, i feel like it's it's going to happen it's kind of already happening because of the pandemic right um because for so long churches couldn't meet in buildings face to face so a lot of churches went to online meetings. And, um, and I know a lot of people that are like, I'm not going back. You know what? I, I like sleeping in on Sunday morning, staying in my underwear, watching, uh, this guy, you know, at nine and this guy at 10 and this other guy on YouTube at this other time. And, and I'm good. I don't need to do that. So, um, people's definitions of church and for other people, their definition of church might be, you know, me and my buddies get together and we, uh, we go to the coffee shop and, or we go to the bar. Um, or we just hang out in the park or we, or we go, you know, do stuff together, ride bikes or jog or whatever. Um, I mean, church really, to me, the definition of church has shifted over time. You know, we did this house church thing for 11 years. And, and, and what it really showed me was that, you know, church isn't a building. Church isn't a liturgy. Church isn't. Um, I mean, really, to me, I would just boil it down to church is just God and the people of God. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Where you meet whether it's under a tree or in a coffee shop or in a building or, you know, a sofa or wherever. I mean, where you meet means less than what happens when you meet. And when you're meeting with other people and you're having a dialogue with them, where is, especially if unity isn't based on agreement, but you people can really learn to listen to one another to say, I love you. Even if I don't agree with you, uh, I, you know, I'm here for you. I'm your friend. I'm, I'm committed to you as a person. Um, because I just, because I love you, <laughs> you know, the way Jesus called, talk, called us to love others as, as he loved us. That's one of the things that we learned in our house church. Cause like our, our house church community, we didn't have any statement of faith other than, you know, do you love Jesus? And do you want, is your idea of a great time hanging out for like four hours with a bunch of other people who also love Jesus and are, you know, interested in following him in their daily life? Um, you know, if that sounds like a blast to you, then you're welcome. And we don't care what you believe about. Any of the, anything else, you know, we don't care. We don't, we're not searching for agreement on uh, pre or mid or post trib. Uh, do we sprink or sprinkle or do we dunk? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, none of that. Like it was sort of like that was, that, that was really meant very little to us. And so we spent no time arguing it. We spent no time trying to figure out who was right and who was wrong. We really just focused on loving one another, uh, learning how to follow Jesus in our actual life listening to people we had disagree with, which really I think I would love for people to get an, a vision of that, that the church could be um, about listening to people who don't agree with you. Because frankly, my definition of hell would be to sit in a room with 20 people who they all agree with me on every single point. Like how am I ever going to grow or learn anything if everybody agrees with me already? Like no one's going to challenge me. No one's going to introduce an idea or a thought I've never already had. Like I, I need that. I mean, I, I want people to introduce new ideas and share things, perspectives that I haven't considered. It doesn't mean I have to accept every perspective. Right. But I'm, but I'm, at least there's an opportunity for me in the listening, in the process of listening, uh, you know, to learn something new and to grow. Yeah. I, when you said like, <laughs> what came into my head was when you said like hell would be sitting in a room with 20 people that agree exactly like you and the the philosopher Jean-Paul Sartre um has a quote that is attributed to him that's like hell is other people and i would <laughs> i would attribute also hell's other people who 100% agree with you 
Um, yeah. But and, and kind of piggybacking off something you said a little earlier is it's not about people agreeing with you. It's about having this dialogue. And like for the other day, um, I was talking with my mom and she's she's more conservative. She would still call herself a son of the God or Pentecostal. And she's open-minded a lot from from when I was a little kid. Still, you know, very conservative, still believes the Bible, inerrant word of God. And I was, you know, kind of pushing her thinking a little bit to be like, Mom, do you really believe this in concept of hell? Which is a very weird feeling to do, having this to my own mother, you know? Yeah. Um, But in one thing she said to me was like, Brian, like, stop making me... uh, you know, stop putting your beliefs on me. Stop making me question, you know, these things that I have. And I said, I'm not, and she's like, you're not going to get me to your side. And I said, mom, it's not about getting me to your side or getting you to my side. It's what I, I feel like one of the things I want to do is someone who still passionately believes in Jesus. I don't like the, you know, sometimes the word Christian, I don't have, I don't want to always say I'm a Christian just because it's like, I'm not that kind of Christian. I'm not that kind of Christian. I'm not <laughs> right. that kind of Christian. I'm just this kind of person. But, you know, and I looked at her and I, I could kind of tell she wasn't getting it. And I was like, mom, are you the same person you were 10 years ago? She's like, absolutely not. I'm like, are you the same person you were when you were 18 or 25? Well, of course not. And I was like, but why do you want to have the same faith? And understand Jesus in the same way you did when you were 18, when mm-hmm. you're 60, you know, seven years old. And that kind of yep. stuck with her. And I was like, well, just think about it. Like, I've, I've been married almost 11 years, which I know is not that long in the scope of reality. But it's like my wife and I are not the same person 11 years in as we were a year into our marriage or five years into our marriage. You grow. Uh, you have ups right. and downs. You have peaks and valleys. But it's so difficult, Keith, where I look at people and I'm like, we change as human beings all the time, right? We we yeah. change jobs, we ch- you know, we, we maybe change relationships, we move to other parts of the country or the world, and we're like, yeah, that's normal, that's fine. But when, it's, when you're in a faith, I feel like faith and religion is one of those only things where people are like, well, I can never switch my ideas on this. I can, I, if I want to stay within this faith, I, I have to hold on you know, white knuckled to these beliefs. And yeah. if I don't h- hold on white knuckles, then all my faith is going to, you know, crumble. And I tell people, I like deconstruction because and I said, I'm not to the point where I want to deconstruct. So there's absolutely nothing left. I said, I want to deconstruct t- to get to the point where I can reconstruct. Right. And so I'm like, I want to deconstruct all the bad theology, the bad doctrines, all that garbage that I was taught. And then I want to reformulate it into not just for myself, but how I can say that to other people, like in the sacred collective community, or I do my pub church called Revolution Minneapolis. And it's like, I want to help other people to be like, hey, we're all in this together. You might have experienced this stuff the same way as me, but there is hope we can deconstruct. If you want to get to deconstruction and not believe, that's your choice. But I want to give you the the opportunity to be like, you might have had an, an issue with church or theology, but I don't think you really had an issue with Jesus. Right. So I think we're checking on that. Yeah, that's exactly right. I'm, I'm the same way. I mean, um, I... I can deconstruct all kinds of theology. I can, I can, I have um, deconstructed because at the end of the day, everything I've deconstructed have been man-made constructions and ideas and doctrines that have, uh, you know, showed up either, you know, in the 400 AD or the 1500s um, or 1830 or, you know, these are things that kind of are men's doctrines and ideas that uh, sort of slowly crept into the church. If anything, you know, people call me a progressive. I, I call myself a regressive mm-hmm. Christian because I kind of feel like I want to. We need to go back uh, to Jesus. Go back to the Sermon on the Mount. Um, if you want to want to go back and read, you know, um, Origen or, or uh, Justin Martyr or uh, Gregory of Nyssa or people like that, uh, those early church fathers who I feel like had a much deeper, richer faith in Jesus than than frankly I. I grew up with, and that most people I know have. Um, so yeah, I I I can deconstruct a lot of things, but not Jesus. And I feel like uh, maybe that's because I had 
sort of some experiences with Jesus spiritually mm-hmm. when I was younger and, and throughout my life that um, those are things I can't deny. Those experiences were so real to me. Um, so I don't doubt that there's a God. I don't doubt that I have some kind of a connection to God. Um, and I do feel that Jesus, was, I, I've said before, I feel like Jesus was right. If nothing else, I feel like Jesus was right about who God is. And, and Jesus is right about who people are, who we are, who I am. He's right about humanity's biggest struggles and problems. And I think he's right about the solution to those problems. And um, yeah, so I can deconstruct a lot of things, but I, I, I haven't deconstructed Jesus. And, uh, and I've actually put together, I put together this thing called Square One. It was about a year and a half, close to two years ago. Um, I started uh, this thing called Square One. It's basically a 90-day community, course community um, that helps walk people through who are deconstructing, helps them figure out. I don't tell them what to believe, but I try to give them sort of options and things for them to figure out for themselves what they what they believe uh, so they can reconstruct uh, a faith. But again, I, what I always encourage them is that there's no need to deconstruct Jesus. I think you can still hold on to Jesus. And there's a lot of good reasons to hold on to that, to hold on to Jesus. Um, but even if they don't, I mean, for some of them, they that ship has sailed and and they've said, well, no, I'm not sure what I believe about Jesus anymore. Well, that's fine. Figure out what you do believe and, and build something on that. And giving people that freedom to sort of really for the first time take stock of, like you were saying before, you know, you, you didn't decide what your faith was. I didn't decide what my faith was. Um, you know, no, it's not like my parents sat down at the kitchen table and said, okay, Keith, here's a book on Buddhism. Here's a book on Hinduism. Right, right. Here, here's a book. You know, I want you to read each of these books. Take your time. Think about it. And we know when you make up your mind, come let us know. Whatever you decide is fine with us. We don't really care. Uh, you just can make up your mind and you can pick the religion that you want to follow. No. That's not what they did. <laughs> and and yet, so through deconstruction now, some people are recognizing that, well, you know, um, now that I've deconstructed these beliefs and my Christian beliefs, um, I don't feel comfortable going to church anymore. I don't feel comfortable going to the Bible studies or the fellowships or whatever anymore. Or either they ask me to leave or I'm just not comfortable anymore. One way or the other, I'm not doing that anymore. Right. And so you've let go of things. There's all kinds of things you don't do, but you haven't filled. There's a giant vacuum. You haven't filled any of that with, okay, so great, you don't go to church on Sundays, but what do you do to fill your your life spiritually? You know, I, I, maybe I don't read the Bible like I did. I don't re- go to a Bible study every Wednesday night anymore. Okay, great, but what are you doing on a regular basis to feed yourself spiritually, right? Are you meditating? Are you just walking in the woods? I mean, find the things that for you f- spiritually feed your soul, mm-hmm. you know, really honestly are meaningful for you. And you get to decide what those things are. No one, it's not your mom and dad telling you that. It's not your pastor telling you that or your Sunday school teacher or anybody else. You get to find out for yourself. These are the things that make me feel close to God. These are the things that make my life mean, that give meaning to my life. Um, Rather than searching for the meaning of life, you just find the things that make your life meaningful. And I'm going to do those things, whether that's volunteering at a soup kitchen or, uh, you know, mentoring uh, kids on the weekends or or whatever, feeding the homeless, whatever that happens to be. Um, but figure out for you what those things are. And and that's honestly the exciting part is teaching people that they can trust themselves. They can know the truth. Um, they can hear the voice of God. Uh, you know, because so much I think that, that people are learning to deconstruct uh, in my Christianity upbringing in a way, you know, the idea was that, well, there's, there's nothing good in you. Um, you're a wretch and a worm. Uh, all your thoughts are evil all the time. And, uh, you know, the heart is deceitfully, deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? And so basically, any thoughts you have, you should you should question those thoughts. That's, they're probably bad. That's probably the devil. Um, and like, well, no, that, that's according to Jesus, he's the good shepherd and I can hear his voice. According to Paul, I have the mind of Christ. So actually, I have an ability I can hear the voice of God. I can know what's right. And I can trust this voice within me, which is this, you know, abiding presence of Christ. You know, Jesus says, abide in me and I will abide in you. Well, does he? And if he does, can can I learn how to trust that and follow that? That to me is the exciting part of the deconstruction, moving into reconstruction uh, phase of this process. 
And uh, yeah, it's been exciting. I, I've loved doing it myself and I've, I've loved helping kind of coach people through their own journey to kind of figure out what are, what are those things for them. Right. And kind of what you were saying too is like, I grew up in, in like the evangelical faith too, or that stream where it, it was like, it was hard not to have a negative image of yourself yeah. Um, because, you know, like, what's that song, like Amazing Grace, yes. you know, saving a wretch <laughs> like me or, yeah. you know, just all these negative self-deprecating things. And then you're like, oh, so if I'm doing a good thing, like if I'm helping the widow, the orphan and the poor, am I still a wretch? Because this, these songs, <laughs> this theology and, and really worship music, which I have a love hate relationship with. It's like, that's theology. And that's if you're, right. and if you're telling me that I'm a wretch, and I'm a horrible person, and then you're having all these kids. And I, I honestly feel like I'm an, what they call an elder millennial born in the early 80s, and I feel like we're one of the first generations that is like, hey, you know, your words and language actually carry a lot of weight to, yes. to what you're saying, and I'm not okay. You know, Jesus is in the New Testament saying, I love you, everyone's included, welcome to yeah. this table, but yet these pastors are like, well, the good news is Jesus, but unless you believe in Jesus our way, you're wretched, you're terrible, you're going to go to hell. And then you realize you're like, something's not making sense here. And then <laughs> yeah. so then they throw not just church away, then they throw Jesus away. And I'm over here with my hands up being like, throw away church if you want to. But I was like, Jesus, Jesus is with you. He's just like, what? This isn't, this isn't me. And I was actually telling someone... A couple weeks ago, who's on the podcast, was a, a former pastor who's now an atheist, and we had this wonderful conversation, and I was telling her some of the reasons I can't give up on Jesus. And I'm kind of like, you know, I'm like, I've deconstructed till I've been red in the face, but I was like, I just can't give up these teachings of Jesus. I said, it's they're so transcendent, they've trans transcended time, culture, you know, all over, you know, it's all over the world for thousands of years, and it's one of the biggest faiths in the world. But I said, what what I've done with my deconstruction is I said, I don't go to church, like, I'm kind of allergic going into, like, a, a brick-and-mortar kind of building of church. I am, because I've been in it my whole life. Kind of gives me the heebie-jeebies. But I'm like, yeah. I love nature. I love going on walks with my family or going to the park and we live in an apartment building on the third floor and our neighbors have these huge, massive trees. And I was telling her, I was like, I love looking out at a tree, seeing, you know, knowing that this tree gives life, that it's a living, breathing organism, much like myself. And I'm like, and when we find out in like biology and in science where you're like, I need that tree because that tree gives off the gases that I need to breathe, but yet that tree also needs me. And, yeah. and when you realize this like connectedness that we have with the world and like, I'm really influenced a lot by Rob Bell and his last book was like, everything is spiritual. And he was yes. making, he was making the connection of like everything in this world, you know, nature, humans, animals, all people, everything is connected and, you know, you say that to some people and they're like, oh, you're hippy-dippy new age. And I'm like, no, I'm just sitting back and realizing I'm this little insignificant blip. I'm important, but I'm insignificant. But I, 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 I'm finding God almost in a naturalistic way, which I never thought I would, you know, 20 years ago, even 15 years ago, maybe even 10 years ago. But now I'm looking kind of like understanding this way of understanding Jesus. And I'm looking out in nature and I'm like... Wow, this creation, how, however long it's been here, is gorgeous, it's beautiful, but it needs me, and I also need it. Yeah. And when you start thinking about stuff like that, you're like, well, then maybe my neighbor, my friend needs me in their life, just like I need them in my life. And when you start having that kind of mentality, you're just like, these teachings of Jesus are so transformative, he was right. And then you yes. just look at the church, and you're just like... What is going on? And a person I just interviewed, you know, a week or two ago, he said this perfectly, and it's kind of haunted me in a good way. He was like, when church is done right, the way Christ talks about it in the New Testament, it is one of the most beautiful, wonderful things in this world. When you have community of people believing in this Jesus character, doing these teachings, 
is one of the most awesome, beautiful things. But when it's done wrong, and it's mostly done wrong, it is probably one of the most evil, horrendous, hurtful, and traumatic things out there. And it that yeah. just hit me like a ton of bricks because I'm like, that is so true. And unfortunately, right now in this American context, and maybe not even in America, but worldwide, I think you're seeing this collective, like, we're hurt by the church. And because these these pastors, these people in the church are hurting us, whether they're doing it willfully or not, they're hurting yeah. us. And now we don't want anything to do with Jesus. Yep. So... That's exactly right. Yeah, you know, um, somebody who's on the kind of on the similar track, um, Richard Rohr and his book Universal Christ <clears throat> is really great in that sense. Mm-hmm. And I actually, I also recommend. Uh, there's a book. It's not written by a Christian, but it's um, it's called The Self Aware Universe, and it's by this guy who's a uh, uh, you know a, a quantum physicist. And if you haven't, if you looked into any of the quantum science stuff, man, but oh my gosh, uh, it, quantum science is essentially um, the things they're discovering is how everything is connected and how uh, everything in the universe is connected to everything mm-hmm. else. Um, and the idea, one of the, one of the most mind blowing things, again, this is not a, not, not a book written by a philosopher or, um, you know, a religious person. This is written by a scientist, but he says in the book, that one of the things that they are like the way he phrases it is that um, for the longest time, science um, has been unable to sort of answer the question, looking at the material universe, the material world um, to answer the question, how, how does consciousness arise from matter? You know, why, Mm -hmm. and why does consciousness arise in the human brain? And it's, it's something that philosophers and scientists have debated for the longest time. And he, and he says in this book, he says, based on what they're learning in quantum science, now they're realizing that's the wrong question to ask, that they actually should have been asking the question, um, how does matter arise from consciousness? Mm. So, in other words, the beginning of everything is consciousness. And out of consciousness, all matter in the universe comes forth. And when, and when I read that, I, the first thing, I even wrote it in the margin in the beginning was the Word, yep. and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Uh, it's just mind-blowing um, how science and how so much I think of people like Rob Bell and Richard Rohr are helping us to see, you know, God is much bigger than only the Christian God. God is God is everywhere. God is, God. God as it says in, um, I believe it's in Colossians, Paul says that uh, we are filled with the fullness of him, that's speaking of Christ, who fills everything in every way. Like, wow, that's that's kind of mind-blowing. Uh, and those are the kind of things that I start meditating on, and I'm trying to wrap my brain around this idea that I think God is much bigger than I thought he was, even more than I could imagine. Um, and even this idea that, that Christ is all and is in all. This is, again, what Paul says in Ephesians. Um, you know, I think I, for the longest time, I've had a very tribalistic God, a God that only really cared about people who prayed the prayer or a God who only cared about, you know, certain people who were born in the Middle East um, at a certain region, you know, with a, a few hundred square miles of Jerusalem. But now I'm realizing, oh, no, God is everywhere. God loves everyone. We're all his children. Um, and even recognizing that these ideas are actually in the scriptures, right, where Paul Paul stands up and preaches the gospel to idol-worshiping pagans, and he tells them God is their father. They are, they are God's children. He tells them this God loves them and actually blesses them in hopes that they will turn and, and seek this God's face. And then he tells them that this God is the one in whom they all live and move and have their being. Those are pretty radical messages. Mm-hmm. Um, I would love to hear one of those street preachers with a megaphone stand up on a box on the street corner and tell everybody, God loves you. He's your father. You're his children. He blesses you because he loves you and he wants you to know his name. And by the way, even if you don't believe in him, he is all around you and you can't escape him. Right. And while you're at it, while you're at it, why don't you throw in 1 John 4, God is love and all who live in love live in God and God lives in them. That's, I never heard a sermon on that growing up. <laughs> oh, I, I'm with you. I'm with you on that. Well, and when I was in seminary doing my master's degree, 
uh, in Christian thought, which is like the philosophy of religion and how, you know, Christianity came around. And I don't know if I'm sure you're aware of this, but like the view of panentheism. Yes. And yes. Not, Pan- not pantheism, yes, but panentheism. And I remember writing a paper on this and I was like, this is fascinating because exactly that understanding is like, what you just said, what Paul says in Colossians, where like God is all and is in all. And that's literally what panentheism is. It's like God created everything in this universe out of God's self, not because he needed to, because he wanted to and he loves it. And so it's like when you look at yourself and you're like, I have worth, not this wretch, you know, that you see in, <laughs> right. in Amazing Grace. Or when you look out at a tree and you're like, gosh, that tree is awesome. Or you look at the sunset or like, I live in Minnesota and I love going to Lake Superior, uh, you know, and I'll just like go to Lake Superior and put my feet in and I'm like, wow, this is beautiful. It's, and it's just, it's breathtakingly beautiful. And then when I was in there last time last summer, I was, I looked at my wife and I was like, I, I'm like, God is in this. God yeah. is in this water just as much as he's in my life. God is in this creation and in, in the singing of the birds and, you know, the lily of the valleys and the deer. And I was like, but you don't get taught that in church anymore. Yes. You know, it's just like, you have to have this personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you don't, then you're going to go <laughs> to hell. And I'm just like, I rage against that because I'm like, where's all the beauty that God talks about in the New Testament or Jesus talks about in the New Testament? to enjoy life. And so often we don't enjoy life. And that's, I guess, one thing in my deconstruction where before I deconstructed, I was, Keith, I was nervous. I was so anxious. I was, had so much anxiety of like, I got to believe the right thing and got to say these right words. And I got to live this way. You know, I can't smoke or drink or go with girls who do, you know, kind of that old (laughs) adage. And then when I realized I'm like, God doesn't care if I have a cigar, God doesn't care if I have three or four beers a night. God doesn't right. care if I go to the bar and I curse a little bit with my friends because I'm just struggling with life or, or whatever. It's like, right. but God knows that I love him and he loves me. Yes. And, and doing that. And it's just, it's just so fascinating. And I agree. Wouldn't that be so much better if these street preachers were not saying <laughs> the hateful things that they're saying and are like, hey, God loves you. He passionately loves you. And even if you don't love him, know that he loves you. People would be That's like, right. "Hey, all right, like this is this is pretty cool stuff, right?" Yes, yeah, I, I agree, man. I, I'd love to hear that from the pulpit. I'd love to hear that. I think that's what we should be leading with, you know. Um, uh, and sadly, we, we don't. But look, I think deconstruction is a good thing. I think actually, I could even say that God is behind deconstruction because I think as a movement, what deconstruction is doing is tearing down all the garbage. I think exposing all the lies, all the toxic theology that um, paints a really screwed up, you know, picture of God. Um, And I think people are, because they're searching for truth, um, you know, it's it's only going to lead them closer to God in the long run. I really believe that. Again, some people do end up completely leaving the faith and, and I would just encourage people not to do that. I don't, I think you can, uh, you can definitely throw out the bathwater and and leave the baby. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Before we wrap up, um, you wrote, you edited a book that our mutual friend Marie is in. Um, what's the title? It's about deconstruction. What's the whole title for our listeners? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So the book is called Before You Lose Your Mind. It was actually a response book to the Gospel Coalition's book um, on deconstruction called Before You Lose Your Faith. And when we back, basically what happened was we found out that the Gospel Coalition of all people who had we're responsible for more people leaving the Christian faith than, right. than anybody I can think of. How ironic that is that? That they were going to write a book on deconstruction. I was like, you got to be kidding me, man. We should write a follow-up book, but we should write a response book. So that's what we did. So basically I got together uh, a lot of my other, uh, so my choir is my publisher. So I went, I reached out to all the other authors who were on the choir uh, family there, suggested we all submit a chapter. Um, Maria's name, you got, got suggested. And uh, in fact, I think, I think I can say this, her, she has a book, I believe coming out through choir soon. Um, I think so she look, told look me for that, that too. Yeah. 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 Ho- hopefully that's okay to announce that. Uh, if not, sorry. <laughs> yeah, sorry, Maria. we can edit this out. <laughs> but, it, but yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, it's uh, contributors. There's a, a bunch of great authors contributing to that book, including Maria, who's amazing. Her chapter is amazing. 
Um, and the book is 99 cents on Kindle. That's not a sale price. That is the price. It will always be that price. Fantastic. Um, and it's been doing really, really well. We, and essentially, what we wanted to do is write a book about deconstruction that's actually for people that are deconstructing to tell them you're on the right track. There's nothing wrong with you. Um, and, you know, you're not alone. So, yeah, we're really proud of that book. The, the paperback is $9.99. And, um, yeah, we've gotten some great feedback from it. Really excited about it. Fantastic. Thank you. Thank you for so much for uh, doing a follow-up um, rebuttal against the Gospel Coalition. Um, <laughs> we need more people that aren't afraid yes, to do, do that. Well, and I will pick up that book. It's on my long list of books that I'm reading. Right now I'm reading um, the book Jesus and John Wayne. Uh, oh, yeah. Kristen DeMay. Yeah, uh, she's yeah, great. Uh, I would love to have her on the podcast. Uh, I can I make can. that happen probably. I, I know her. I can. I'll, oh, hey. I'll, I'll oh, hey. If you can, that would be fantastic. Um, that'd be sweet. Um, if you have just a couple of minutes before you leave, I'm going to spring this on you. It's kind sure. of a lightning round. If that's fine. Not, yeah. not, not any theological stuff, just more fun. I don't sure. do this all the time, but we have a little bit of time. So I'm going to just throw just some random questions out. Okay. Um, more of just like things you like or whatever. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. so if you can play along, um, sure. what is, your favorite drink of choice is something that you're like, I have to have not every day, but where you're like, this is just really good. And I love this. Mm. Well, I'm a coffee fiend. Um, so I have to have my two cups, at least of coffee, uh, every day we grind the beans. We're kind of coffee snobs. So, um, I would definitely say coffee, but I also have suddenly I recently discovered the old fashioned and, mm. um, and a good friend of mine is a bartender, and he actually taught me how to make an old-fashioned, like, really, really well. So, occasionally, I'll have an old-fashioned uh, now and again, and I really do like those, too. Old-fashions are very good. Yeah, yeah. We, um, I, I would say I like beer a little bit too much, um, <laughs> but in the Twin Cities, I kid you not, in, like, the Seven County metro area, we probably have over, like, 100 breweries. Yeah. And... And of course, all my friends are like, "Hey, let's go out to a brewery. Let's go do this." And now, after the pandemic, you kind of want to support these, you know, these breweries. Right. So, yeah, um, I get that. And old fashions are pretty good. Um, I'm more of a beer fan, but I do like a good mixed drink um, every now and then. Um, next one is, what is your favorite vacation spot? Whether you've been there once or it's just one, like a place where you're like, whether it's one time or some place you're like, I've always went there, whether it's growing up or whatever, but you're like, this is my spot. I, I love this vacation spot. Well, I, that's a tough one. I, I guess I have them. I have some really good memories of going to the grand Canyon. Um, uh, my, my dad loved the grand Canyon. Um, Anytime he could get there for a while there, he was going every year, every mm -hmm. summer he was going to the grand Canyon. I remember, I remember joking with my dad, after like the third or fourth year in a row, he would go to the Grand Canyon in the summertime. I'd say, Dad, you know, they haven't opened a new wing or anything. It's the same <laughs> canyon every year. Uh, but he just loved it. And uh, a couple of times we got to take some helicopter tours down into the canyon. And my dad loved that. And my dad passed like last August. So I'm sorry. Um, and one of my fondest memories is actually uh, we lived in California. My mom and dad still lived in El Paso. And we met halfway. We met in the Grand Canyon. And spent a weekend there. That was the last vacation we all took together as a family. And it was so great. Uh, it was just a blast. So, yeah, I'd have to say the Grand Canyon. Okay, thank you. Uh, last one. What is your favorite book of all time? And you can't say the Bible, but what is, oh, your, what is your favorite <laughs> book? Whether it's, you know, biography, fiction, nonfiction, what, what's been your favorite book? Man, this question is too hard. I actually just wrote a blog post on uh, the other day on my blog called 10 books that changed my life. And so that was, that was coming up with 10 of them. Um, I'm to, to pick one of them. So this is the book. This is supposed to be my favorite book of all time. Yeah. Uh, Sorry, no pressure, right? All right. All right. Well, I'll only, I'm only going to say this book because it's a book that I have read numerous times and I've actually given it away as a gift so many times. I probably have purchased like 10 copies of this book over, well, there you go. over my lifetime. Um, is this little tiny book by a guy named Fenelon. He was a 15th century um, bishop. And um, it's a collection of letters that he wrote to some young guys that he was sort of discipling. And it's just chock full of these really deep, profound insights uh, that are so good. And I really love it. In fact, there's, 
it has my favorite quote. I'll, I'll give you the bonus. One of my favorite quotes is from that book. There's a, in one of the letters he tells the guy, he says, uh, and the guy's been studying, you're trying to study really hard. He's been studying the Bible, you know, nonstop. And Fenelon tells him, if you stopped learning now, you wouldn't live long enough to put into practice all that you already know of Christ. And when I read that, I was like, that's me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and, I, and actually, that's probably most Christians I know. Because churches, church has become a school no one ever graduates from. Mm-hmm. Like, I think you know enough. Most of us who grew up in the church, you know enough to go ahead and start putting some of that stuff into practice. Wow, fantastic. That I'll have to get that book if I can find it. Is it something you can find on Amazon? Oh, yeah, it's on Amazon. And it's really very, very thin, kind of almost a pocket-sized book. Um, and I recommend reading it. My wife and I first read it. We would just read a chapter at night before we go to bed. So it's almost like a devotion type thing. Mm, okay. Um, yeah, it's really good. Awesome. Uh, last thing, this would be like your, you know, little spiel of where you want people to find you. So if people who are listening are like, I really like this guy. I want to support him. Where can they purchase your books or your book? Um, not just this series you wrote, but this one on deconstruction. Or if they want to follow you on any socials, now is your chance to let people sure. know where all that's at or where to find you. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Brian. Well, yeah, all of my books in the Jesus Un series, they're on Amazon. Uh, you can just search my name, Keith, K-E-I-T-H, Giles, G-I-L-E-S. And uh, you'll find them, including um, the book that I, I edited the book and also contributed to the book, Before You Lose Your Mind. That's on there as well. Um, I blog on Patheos on the Progressive Channel, and you can find that also by just typing in KeithGiles.com, and it'll redirect you to my Patheos blog. Um, I co-host a podcast with some friends of mine called the Heretic Happy Hour, and it's available where all fine podcasts are sold or available. And um, I also co-host um, in my spare time another podcast called Peace Catalyst Podcast. Well, and um, quite busy, quite a busy man. I'm a busy guy, yes. And I'm also on I'm on Instagram, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Twitter. Uh, you can search me up all there, all those places, and I'd be happy to. Uh, to talk to you. And I will say, you know, I mentioned to do these things called square one. Um, those run every 90 days and the next one is running. Let's see in, what is it running in August? So uh, we, we take about 15 to 20 or 25 people at a time through that course. Um, and if anybody's interested in it, you can find that at, at uh, we can probably find a link to it on my blog, but you could also find it on uh, BK and the number two SQ and the number one, Dot com it stands for back to square one bk2sq1.com and we also if you can't afford it um, i'm happy to offer some free sponsored seats to anybody that feels like they really would like to go through a program like that if you think it would help you um let's talk I, I'd, I'd love to be able to give you a free seat all right thank you so much keith and uh we'll put all that stuff up in our show notes i'll let you you know know when this comes up but thank you so much for your time and for reaching out and wanting to be on the podcast. I've just had a blast talking with you and um, talking all things deconstruction. And so I really appreciate it. All right. Hey, Brian, I appreciate the conversation too. Thank you so much for having me and, uh, and uh, God bless. All right. You too. Thanks for being part of our conversation to continue the conversation. Find us on social media at sacred MN.